0: Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Some Other Sphere. If you enjoy it, please leave a rating on your preferred podcast platform or like and share it on social media, as it all really helps to promote the show. If you'd like to support the upkeep of the podcast as well, you can donate via Ko-fi. Go to ko-fi.com forward slash Some Other Sphere Podcast to find out more. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at spherical underscore pod. Thank you again. And now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. Joining me as my guest for this episode is Emma Hurd, creator of the Weird Wiltshire blog. Emma has had a lifelong interest in the paranormal and experienced many unusual occurrences that are hard to explain. During the COVID-19 lockdown of 2020, she had a chance to write a blog for fun and so Weird Wiltshire was born, offering a place to explore the history, folklore and spooky tales which overflow the county. In the interview I begin by talking with Emma about how her interest in these subjects began and developed when she moved to Wiltshire. We also discuss some of her own experiences of the paranormal and then move on to the weird history of Wiltshire itself which is so often connected to the ancient monuments and landscape that exemplify the area. It was a very enjoyable chat. Enjoy! Emma, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi thanks for having me on today.
0: For people who uh, maybe aren't familiar with Wiltshire and that part of the UK just describe it a little.
1: Okay so um, I mean this is open to debate Uh, I say that we're in the southwest um, but we're kind of um, yeah other other counties say we're not Um, but we are down sort of in the southwest corner it's landlocked um we're next to Dorset and there's Hampshire on another side and above that I think it's uh goes into sort of Oxfordshire way on the north and up towards Bath and then on to Bristol so um but it was part of the heart of Wessex um which was the big region back in the kind of Anglo-Saxon times and um Wiltshire was at the heart of that that region, so that's where we are.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. And are you from there?
1: No, not not originally. I was born in London, but I left um I left when I was nineteen to go travelling and then met a guy in, in Australia actually, and he was from Salisbury. And when we came back, I had a look around and I spent uh, we spent a couple of hours in the pub and it was overlooking the cathedral in Salisbury and it's so beautiful. And I just thought, why am I going back to smelly old London? I'll just stay down here. Hadn't unpacked my bags. Stayed here, thought I would be here for a while. And here I am sort of 20, 23 years later, um, never left. <laughs> so...
0: Mm, that's, that's great. So did you bring your interest in the paranormal with you or did moving to Wiltshire sort of set that off a little bit?
1: Um, I think I've always had an interest and it all started with um, my family so my nan I wouldn't say she was psychic but she definitely had a lot of stories and she used to have what we'd call funny turns in places and she um, used to work, my, my family were all very middle class, uh, sorry, working class. Um, she used to work, come out of London and work in a pub in Surrey, the Dolphin Inn called In Betchworth. And she would always tell me and my brother stories of the ghost there who was called Old Blind George. Um, and I must have been about eight years old at the time. And I remember being sort of totally horrified and scared of this ghost Um, but also totally fascinated at the same time. Um, And I don't know if you remember, I'm in my 40s now, but there's these specific books from childhood that I remember sort of reading over and over again. And they were always about weird subjects like spontaneous combustion and different kinds of ghosts, particularly places like Borley Rectory and all the sort of famous ones, the Enfield poltergeist. And I think over the years any time a ghostly story was mentioned, I was sort of attracted to it, read lots of books, but I haven't not done anything with it um, until COVID happened. And we all got locked down. And I think it's quite a common theme. A lot of creative people say that's when they started projects. Um, suddenly you think, oh, we're going to have all this spare time. What can I do? And I've always been into writing. I'm a copywriter. Um, That's my business, freelance copywriter. But I wanted to write something for my own enjoyment and my own fun. And I thought about things I'm interested in. And I just thought, oh, I'd like to look into ghosts So, um, and and stuff to do with Wiltshire. Because obviously I was very aware of lots of stories here. And so I started, started my blog back then. And it's kind of taken off um and I'm collecting lots of stories and really really enjoying it I've met lots of friends and lots of people in the paranormal community and now I'm starting to be invited to podcasts and things like that to talk about it as well so that's that's where my interest comes from I guess.
0: Brilliant I, I know exactly what you mean about those childhood experiences I'm I'm a similar age to you and I Right. I, rem- I remember those Osborne books and yes. also being told spooky stories by older members of the family so it feels like quite an initiatory experience for a lot of people who end up becoming interested in this sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've found over time that actually um I'm I'm mainly only ever on Twitter. That's my social media um where I talk about weird Wiltshire. And you'll see a picture of an old book and all of the paranormal community of a similar age will be like, I remember that book, The Screaming Skull, or I remember that picture. And so we all, yeah, like you say, we all do have that similar interest does come from our childhood. So it's quite nice.
0: Yeah. So when you decided to start the blog, what, what was the first thing that you researched, you looked into?
1: Um. Well, I've had quite a few of my own experiences over the years and I lurch from being a believer to then I sat on the fence and I I call myself a sceptical believer now because um, I know there's so much fakery out there and there's also a lot of things that can be explained, Um, but there's also a lot of stuff that can't be explained and, and also people's experiences Who are we to tell somebody that what they feel or what they've heard or what they've seen is actually wrong and can be explained because um, it might not be the case. And so I sort of lurch backwards and forwards uh, from believing to sort of thinking everything's all in my head. So one of the things I wanted to do with the blog was write about my own personal experiences over the years Um, and I have worked them in but I actually started I think my first one was talking about my neighbour who I ended up looking after in lockdown. Um, She was very elderly and she didn't have any family and she was very vulnerable and um, I ended up going in there and taking her meals and then she got quite sick and I was in there sort of three times a day and we built up a really good relationship. And she told me the story of her husband who died in the seventies, um, who one day came to visit her and she was in a really dark place following his death. And she said he stood at the end of her, her bed and just looked at her and smiled at her. And she just got this feeling of calm came over her. Um, like, he was there to just say, you're okay, you know, move on, you've got to get on with it. And she said from that day on, she felt a lot more able to deal with her grief. Um, I mean, you could explain that as being psychological, but again, she was really adamant that it happened and he was there and he gave her this feeling and this smile um, and then he moved on. And actually the story goes a bit further than that because sadly she did die in the end um she she had several falls, and she was in hospital, nursing homes, hospital. She came back for a couple of days and it was yeah, she did just go downhill and pass away but after that um, I felt like she was around the place for a few weeks and i'm I'm pretty sure i I was out the front of the house, which is next to her bungalow and I, I heard her what I thought was my name a couple of occasions and then we'd see these feathers floating down in the garden, white ones. And I didn't even notice a couple of them. And my partner said I was out mowing the lawn one day and there was this feather and it was just hovering around me. So I was sort of going up and down. And we sort of felt like she was around for a few weeks. And then one day I went out there and it just felt like she'd gone, moved on. So, um, and again, you could say, well, that's all in your head. You've got no proof. But I really felt like she was there and then she wasn't. So um and that's the that was the first story on the blog.
0: Wow, yeah, that's very interesting. I I know what you mean about uh, if the personal experience being the most important part of of things like that. I absolutely agree there and I'm I'm not sure how helpful it, it is sometimes to have sort of the a dividing line between belief and skepticism. I I definitely think that there's a a big gray area, that's how how I like to approach things anyway.
1: Mm, well, I have these debates with so many people, and um particularly those who are very sceptical and science minded is that they'll just say, If there's no proof, it can't exist, but I do kind of feel with ghosts and the paranormal in general. Maybe it's not that they don't exist. It's just that we haven't, A, got the technology to really find out. Or B, we've lost that sixth sense that might have allowed us, might allow us to connect with them. And perhaps some people do have more of that intuition and sensitivity. And perhaps if you say, no, they don't exist, it's a load of old rubbish, it's codswallop. Perhaps you're cutting yourself off from the possibility of it actually being real. Um, And the other other side of it is, I don't know about you, but I mean, there's quantum physics and it blows my mind. I can't get very deep into the subject because I just don't really understand it. But the idea of there being many different dimensions where other um, possibilities of the universe exist and we somehow could glitch into there are glitches and you might glimpse another time or another moment where somebody comes back and... I don't know that's something again we don't understand that yet but it's not to say it's not real just because we haven't worked it out yet um so that's kind of where i sit with the whole what is what is a ghost idea and are they real at the moment
0: yeah uh, yeah absolutely i mean if you read the stories of of scientific discovery especially with things like quantum science i mean at the moment i'm reading a book called when we cease to understand the world which is was just a little bit about that it's about some of the people that were the forefathers of of things like quantum science and when you when you read the the things that they did and the way they approached trying to understand reality it does verge on the on mysticism frankly and and metaphysics it, it really does there's, there's a point at which these people admit that they almost can't directly measure these things at a certain level of reality. It's just not possible. So the the science that you're trying to, to create is, is is approaching (laughs) almost approaching something like, like magic.
1: Yeah, I guess we're we're not, we're only ever, I always say this, we're only ever going to find out what happens when um, weather goes surreal, when we actually cross the rainbow bridge ourselves Yeah. Um, yeah. I did. I remember having conversations with my nan years ago and going, when you die, come back and and make sure you put a cross on the wall. You've got to give us a sign. You've got to show us. Um, And that no crosses on the walls have ever appeared. But (laughs) it doesn't mean that, you know, it's not real either.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So something I, I know about Wiltshire is that it's one of these places where quite a lot of the ancient landscape survives with you know going back to the Mesolithic era with places like Silbury Hill and yeah and Avebury and obviously Stonehenge so mm. uh, from your experience does that affect some of the the encounters the stories that you've the people have told you is there does it does it influence the sort of the paranormality of the place I guess
1: Oh, I think without a doubt. I mean, if you, I don't know what you think of ley lines. It's one of those controversial subjects that's open to interpretation. But, you know, Stonehenge itself, there's supposed to be 14 ley lines that cross that piece of land. Um, and it's seen as an energy portal. And I think there's St Michael's line that goes through Avebury as well, which, um, there's a lot of history here it's it's very strange I wander around I've got dogs and I do a lot of walking and I, I had horses for many many years so I'd be out in the countryside and you would just wander past a barrow which is or um a tumuli, which is an ancient burial mound and you would just be like oh there's another one I mean it but actually it's only in recent years I thought wow like these are this is crazy there's just these ancient mounds just on a path somewhere or um, and it was Bill Bryson I don't know if you know the travel writer who he wrote about England and he was sort of saying he can't believe how non sort of nonchalant we are about our history oh there's yeah just another castle there's another stone marking another sarsen stone stood in a field Um, and these things have been here for thousands of years. And I think Wiltshire is actually just chock full of this stuff, particularly around Stonehenge and Avebury. Um, but there, there's also lots of missing history. Um, near where I live, there's an old sort of stone circle and it was apparently moved um, and then made into part of Wardour Castle, the actual grotto there. So there's these old blue stones that are the same as some of the ones at Stonehenge and someone just moved them back in the 16th or 17th century and decided to turn them into a grotto. So um I don't think we kind of always appreciate the history of this county, but there is something definitely very magical and I always I remember being told when I first came here there's something about Wiltshire it's got you on a piece of elastic. So if you come here and you try and leave you'll always end up back here and it pulls everyone back because you you come here because you're supposed to be here and I did try and leave a couple of times and then I for one reason or another always ended up back here again so I do I do kind of wonder if there's a bit of magic to this area um to Wiltshire
0: yeah yeah I totally get that I mean I, I I think with these places there's just so much mystery isn't there there's yeah we'll probably never really know why the why they were built where they were there's, there's some really good ideas and you can sort of I, I think you can get a general idea of the of the connection between some of the places I know in, in Wiltshire there are avenues of stones that connect sites as well so yeah that you can sort of detect that it was probably some sort of ritual landscape but in, t- in terms of a purpose there is it's very hard to determine, and also these sites are are really old, so they've probably had more than one purpose over time,
1: yeah, I mean it depends no one really knows what Stonehenge is for, even to this day, but um there's various ideas I mean ranging from it was obviously somewhere for druid worship. It was a burial ground. Um, but then there's more wacky ideas like it's a UFO hotspot landing site. It's a sundial, which I kind of can see see where they've come from that idea. But um, what is it? And we don't know. Nobody wrote things down. There are no records. So the best we can do is come up and come up with ideas and throw them out there um and that's I think that's part of the appeal is because we don't actually know why these things are here and what they were for but I would with Avebury and Stonehenge I my gut feeling tells me they were sort of places of meeting places and for worship or celebration um and that kind of thing
0: Mm, yeah and uh, something else which I've discuss on other episodes of the podcast is that uh, back then the you know there'd be absolutely no light pollution the mm. and I, I mean I imagine in, in Wiltshire you still get pretty decent night skies but but back yes. then they would have been you know crystal clear on a on a cloudless night and I, yeah. f- I feel like the connection between the people on the earth and the sky was probably a bit more Pronounced, and you you were talking earlier about in the modern era people perhaps having somewhat lost their their connection with with the other side or whatever you know whatever we want to call it and i feel that's that's part of it too that the connection with the supernatural also feels like a good part of a connection with with the universe itself
1: yeah i i'm totally with you there um Funnily enough, I was saying to an American friend of mine that the skies have crossed Wiltshire. I've never been to Montana. Um, I'd love to go, but I know it's called Big Sky Country. And last time I was up at Avebury, I just looked up and I was like, there's so much sky here because it is rolling chalk downlands and it's very open. And obviously in years gone by, there would have been a lot more forest and trees, but you still get this sense of space and a real connection to nature up there. And back then, people's lives, they were far more connected to nature because, of course, their livelihood, their lives actually depended on it. Um, They didn't get to go to Tesco's and grab food if the tomatoes or the potatoes failed or whatever they were growing. So, um, but modern life, we're busy, aren't we? We've got computers, we've got cars, we've got jobs, we've got a lot going on. And I think a lot of people are moving away from the natural world, unfortunately. Um, It's sad. But if you go somewhere like Avebury or Stonehenge, maybe just for a minute or two, it kind of reconnects you and reminds you that we came from the earth and that's where we're going to end up, um, back in there again at one day.
0: Mm. So staying with Avebury, I know you've written about that on your blog um and that that seems like a place going back to what we mentioned previously where there's a a connection between the ancient history of the of Wiltshire and the supernatural
1: yeah yeah I mean it's it's a beautiful place there's not many people I have met who haven't been there and said they've fallen in love with it and it's um it's one of the largest stone circles in the world I believe and it's also got half of a village in it so that was built up within this stone circle um, because obviously these were here but when the early Christians arrived they started to wonder about the old ways and and the Druid ways were persecuted so a lot of the stones were removed and pushed over and I think it was only sort of in the 30s that um, archaeologists came along and actually said right we need to try and sort this out and resurrect some of the stones that have been pushed over and buried. And obviously there's a lot still missing, but there's a lot that are there. And it's also, it's not just Avery, actually. Very nearby, you've got other amazing sites that you can walk to. Um, so Silbury Hill and the West Kennet Long Barrow. Um, I don't know if you want to, if I mentioned Silbury Hill, it's a very strange looking, it's just a mound, and you driving through Wiltshire, you'll go past it on the road, and you'll think, what is that? And again, nobody really knows what it is, but it's um, it's been built over the course of quite of many years, because there's lots of different layers, and it's a kind of, you can see it's sort of man-made. Again, the theories of what it's there for are various, with, um, yet again, the UFO landing spot comes up, the Uh, Other people think it might be some sort of building to honour the goddess of the earth. Um, Other people, the the folklore says that King Sil, who was a legendary king, he wanted to be buried there upright on his golden horse. Um, And he was said to be, that's said to be his burial spot. But over the years, nobody's ever really found anything in there. So I'm not sure if that's completely true. But it's still it's just there on the landscape. You can walk up to it. And um, there are ghostly sightings there once in a while. It's said to be King Seal has been spotted uh, riding up around the hill on the top of it because it's quite flat. And um, there's also, whether you believe in crop circles or not, Wiltshire was definitely at the heart of that, certainly at the beginning of it. And I remember back in the 90s, heading up past Silbury Hill and seeing people in a field opposite. And we realised, oh, there's a crop circle up there. And sort of there were people just wandering up into this field to have a look at this crop circle. And it was literally within the view of Silbury Hill. So there's definitely a lot goes on within that area. And uh, just along from Silbury Hill is West Kennet Long Barrow, um, which is... A huge uh one of the biggest long barrows that you can actually walk into and another very strange place. Um, I've had a weird experience up there myself the last time I went. Don't know if you want to hear about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, so as part of the blog, I've done this walking with my ancestors series, which covers Avebury and um it's going to be four it's four sort of parts long because there's so much going on up there and the second one I went over in the autumn a couple of times and the second time I went on my own I took my dogs it was a Friday off Friday morning it was kind of grey and miserable and kind of cold and I walked down I wanted to get photos of Silbury and West Kennet Longbarrow so as you walk past the bottom of Silbury Hill you can see the people heading up grass track to the Long Barrow and I saw from a distance about eight people going up there and I walked towards it and you could see everyone coming back down or not so I saw people go up there and I thought oh how am I going to get a decent photo if there's loads of people around um and I walked up the hill and I saw somebody from the National Trust coming down and then another couple but that was it And I got up there fully expecting to find people in the Long Barrier. And there was literally absolutely no one around. Um, You've got a good view from the top of the Long Barrier. Now, it does go on to farmland behind, but it's all cropped land. You wouldn't expect anyone, most people in England know better than to just walk across a farmer's field. So I'd kind of seen these people go up there, but I didn't think anything of it at the time. And I went to actually go into the long barrow and I can only say that I got this overwhelming sense of it was so dark. And I tried to go in and it took me actually three attempts to go in there. I would go in and then I would have to come back out and I sort of spooked myself. And I just felt like there was a really dark, strong presence at the back of the barrow that didn't want me to go in there and disturb them. And even my dogs are a bit sort of sniffing the air like, no, we're not we're not coming in here. Um, but what I had taken up there, so I wouldn't call myself pagan or religious, but I do think when you go to these ancient places, you have to respect the possibility of the spirits being there. And I put together this little nature offering that I planned to leave in there. So on the third time of trying to go in there, I took that out and and it felt like the atmosphere was different. And I sort of said, I made a conscious effort as I walked in to say, hi, I've got something to bring you. I hope you don't mind me visiting. And I went down to the bottom, but I didn't st- I didn't want to stay long. And I put this thing there and then I scuttled back out and then I was like, thank you. And I can only say it's really strange. I I am trying to not be silly about it in my head but it really did feel like there was something in that barrow that just they just didn't want people visiting they didn't want the living there and um when I came back and did some research I don't think I'm the only one that's had that experience up there yeah so there is a known ghost as well he arrives he is um an ancient druid spirit he comes out on the longest day of the year so the solstice the summer solstice with his a dog which has got red tipped ears so from what i read people say that's he's a fae dog of the fae world and he comes out to watch the sunrise and then peacefully goes back into the barrow and is not seen again until the following summer and its local farmers have people that are out and about in the fields working they've seen him in the past as well so it's not just the local sort of hippy dippy people that have gone up there hoping to see him and then put it into their mind as such there's actual very stoic working people that don't believe in that that have seen this spirit come out on the summer solstice
0: wow yeah um i think you were you, you were talking there about making an offering and and talking I guess to the spirit of the place or whatever is there it's um that's a technique that I think you hear about quite a lot in situations like that I I know that it's different but when when things disappear in your house and you don't know where they are it's often it's often the best just to say please can I have this thing back and then usually it will turn back up so so actually talking out loud to the to the other world whatever it may be seems like a sensible technique that's that's really mm. interesting I, I i do remember a little while ago i read about an experiment that they'd done at west Kennet long barrow with with sound like somebody sat in there and they i can't remember exactly what the experiment was but you using sound in there seemed to bring on some sort of the person's perception of the barrow seemed to change the person who was sat in there so it's a it's a fascinating place I, I mean I've never been but all the things I hear about it, it seems like it's a there's something going on there
1: yeah I mean I was really lucky to be able to go in there well not really I say lucky I was lucky to be able to go in there with and en- without anyone else around but I got scared <laughs> and I know I am a bit sensitive and I am a bit scared of ghosts even though I'm fascinated by them and I do think oh it's all in your head and I try and tell myself that but the more I have these weird experiences the more I think is it all in my head am I really feeling things and that was just another one of those experiences that I have to chalk down to I don't know what happens um but if I I'm in one of my believing moods then I say yes there was definitely something in there and um just by saying that I come in peace kind of allowed me to walk into the barrow and that's the only way I can describe it so um yeah but it's a magical place and I'm going to be going back there I've arranged to meet some friends up there so in a few weeks so we're going to go back up there and this time I won't be alone so I'll be brave.
0: <laughs> oh good it makes me think as well of any sort of journey into the underworld you have to be prepared don't you and and i can't think of many legendary journeys into the underworld in in myth and legend where it wasn't a challenge it wasn't the the participants had to face their fears i mean i get Mm -hmm. i get the sense of that about that like it's whatever happened in when the west kennet long barrel was built perhaps it had a, a bit of an a sort of an initiatory purpose for people to to commune with the dead or or go through that go through that experience so they understood the relationship between the living and the dead
1: yeah the other interesting fact I I read on the English heritage site is I think that only sixth of it a sixth of the actual barrow has been um, excavated so if there is more to it it would be absolutely huge and I think they found It was something like 50 sets of bones in just the bit that's open that you can go into now. So if that's only a sixth of it, the the place is huge. And however many more people were buried up there or bones were put in there, um, I don't know. I hope English Heritage at some point or whoever it is, uh, get the money together to have a look for the rest of it.
0: (laughs) Mm, Absolutely. So where else in Wiltshire have you explored and have stories from?
1: Um, I go out and about quite a lot. I mean, I do a mixture of I like going to a place, having a look around, taking some photos and then researching all the stories that are associated with that area. And I've got lots of lots of books on the area, including quite a few that are out of print. Um, There was a lovely lady called Kathleen Wiltshire um ironically great name (laughs) Uh, yeah and she um she was very ahead of her time because it seems like she went round to she was this was in the 60s and 70s she wrote these this series of books but she went round to women's institutes farming communities she just got to hear about these little tidbits of stories and and some of these people that were telling her would have been really elderly at the time so these are stories that were told to her that could have been happening back in the late Victorian period and so I've got those books and it's funny that you bring all these little tidbits of stories together for somewhere that you visit. I I find the research part of it really interesting and then I might go and see it but the other side of it is I really love people's own personal stories that are untold and quite often people find out what I do and they're like oh I've got a story for you or and other times people and I was talking to someone about this earlier they really they've got a story that happened to them many many years ago and they've never told it because they fear that they might be laughed at and mocked and thought to be crazy and then at some point they meet me and I'm really honoured that they feel happy to tell me their stories and I would never question that either I'm not here to doubt what somebody's telling me i literally want to record these personal tales um, so that they're they're here because people have done that in the past and here i am reading kathleen wiltshire's books and loving them so i need to do that for now maybe for our future generations to look back and say oh somebody else had an experience in that area and here it is um and some some of my blogs are uh combination of an area and then somebody gets in touch and say oh something like that something happened to me there and I'll add that to the blog so um i'm trying to think one of my favorite places is grovely woods that's in wilton which is fairly near to where i live south wiltshire and the story up there it's a really old uh, very old ancient woodland and it's quite big because we haven't got a lot of these left in our country now, unfortunately. And there's beautiful, massive, old three, 400-year-old beech trees. And um, it's a big Roman road that goes through the middle of it. And the story is up there, there's four trees and they're called the witches' trees. And you can go up into the woods, you can go and find these trees. And the story is that um, I think it was back in the 1600s, there were some Danish sisters that moved to the area and there was an outbreak of smallpox and it killed a lot of the people in the village. And they blamed these four sisters and said that they were witches. So um, the villagers, are, because you know they were ignorant back then, there was no sort of proof. Mm. And and they, I don't know whether they hung or bludgeoned these sisters to death, but they basically decided to bury them in the woods, all in separate areas, so that they couldn't, their spirits couldn't convene together. And up above where these sisters are supposed to have been buried are these four huge and beautiful beech trees. So one has fallen down now and is really just a pile of old twigs, and you wouldn't really see know where it is. One of them in particular is um do you know what I mean when I say a clouty tree?
0: Yeah, is that where they, they tie ribbons onto the branches?
1: Yes. Yeah, so it's become quite popular now. People go up there and they leave offerings for the witches up in the woods. Um, there's been a lot of paranormal investigations. And I don't, I don't kind of really want to encourage it because it's such a beautiful place. I don't want it to get overrun um, and abused. But there's certainly been a lot of people who have done stuff up there and, and I've been up there myself. There's a very strange feeling in the woods. There's a comfortable feeling and then you'll walk along and then suddenly the birdsong ceases and you kind of get this feeling that someone's walking behind you or near you Um, and you'll keep on walking and then the birdsong starts again. And I've got a – i have got a, she's I call her a secret psychic because she doesn't let anyone know her gift – But she says she won't go up there. She says there's something up there that she really doesn't like. And, um, yeah, you can kind of feel it. You get the hairs on the back of your neck rise. But there was a story, a lady got in touch following this blog, and she said she's, I think she must be in her 30s now, Abby, and she wanted to share her story. And she said when they were teenagers, her and some friends went up there camping for the night. And they had a little fire and they were, you know, having fun. Some of them were drinking, some weren't. They didn't have enough tents like teenagers do. You know, you don't really go prepared. So they didn't really have enough tents for everyone. So there were a couple of people outside, a couple in tents. And they said in the middle of the night, about 2 a.m., several of them woke up and they could hear this ethereal singing in the woods. And they felt like it was just outside their circle of, where they were all staying, quite near, but they could see nothing. They could there were, there's nothing around there. It is in the middle of the woods, and they could hear this beautiful singing. And they said it lasted for a few minutes and then faded away. And we kind of talked about it. And we said, What what do you think it was? And she's like, I, I just wonder if the sisters were there and they were coming to protect us from something. And they no one went back to sleep that night, they said. They all stayed up and they kind of made a joke out of it, but actually they still talk about it to these days like do you remember that night up in gravely woods what was it what went on and um there's lots of other stuff up there it's a roman road so people have heard the sound of what sounds like marching along the road um but in the second unusually it's actually paved or tarmacked because in the second world war there were a lot of bunkers up there used to store ammunition the whole of Salisbury is quite a military area around here and there's been weird noises picked up in some of the old bunkers that are just underground that are just up there Um, and there's also the rustling and you might hear twigs breaking and you might feel like someone's in the wood and there's the story of um, an apparition up there and he's whether he was a poacher or an artist, it's not sure, but he was supposed to be up in the woods one day and there was a hunting party out and they mistook um, him for a deer and he was killed. And so he is said to still be wandering around in the woods up there and sometimes you can feel like somebody's watching you and you might hear somebody in the trees and there's nobody there. But you get this feeling and that's sort of put down to him. So yeah and and other people say they feel sort of elemental energies up there um, which I wouldn't be surprised because of all the trees and uh, it's very like I say it's very magical. So that's one of my favourite places to go and the stories just keep coming of that coming out of those woods.
0: Yeah I mean that sounds like a a really interesting place. The ethereal music uh, makes me think of fairies to be honest it's um, yeah
1: maybe they
0: uh they're sort of known for doing that aren't they sort of um Mm. trying to entice people but but it does sound like it I like the idea that it was more of a protective thing than a something malevolent
1: I wonder if there's both up there I wonder if the sisters are still up there and they seem to really quite like um favor women and and girls And you stand within the protection of this tree. There's somebody's laid out logs and stuff around it. You can really feel, um, people do say that they feel a connection to them at times. Women in particular feel this connection to another woman's spirit. And a feeling that you are safe if you're within the space of the sisters. But in the rest of the woods there might be some sort of, Strange elemental energy, and perhaps they just don't want people up there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't blame them because there's not many places left for these elementals.
0: Yeah, I'm always intrigued by the way that a, a real life event of, you know, and in the case you were just talked about, a, a, a tragic one, something, an emotional mm. one, and over time that that event develops into a story and and you know having an interest in the paranormal and these sorts of things you, you you do become aware of the power that stories can have on people and it doesn't mean that the there isn't that connection with the original event and the people who died but mm. but, but sometimes stories they take on a life of their own and it's almost sometimes I wonder if it's that that you're that people encounter it's something now nowadays when when you say someone imagined it that can be sort of a sound like a bit of a put down i but i i absolutely don't mean that i think the i think the imagination is a an incredible thing but the the power of stories always impresses me it's
1: almost like we're creating our own history with the stories and obviously even the way i've told everything i've said to you today I'll look back through my notes later and I'll be like, oh, I haven't quite said that the way I wrote it last time. So these things do get embellished and changed and added to. Um, So you do have to bear that in mind. And I think that is something that people who are in the paranormal community who are very science and investigative minded. I don't know if I've just said that word right, but they possibly get annoyed with our storytellers because we're changing the narrative, but that's not what I'm here for. So I'm never going to say, listen, take my word in stone. This is a story. I'm just recalling what people have told me or things that I've found out. I've written it in my own way. I try and be as factual as I can, but ultimately we weren't there. I can't prove it. I can't tell you it's definitely true.
0: Yeah. And I think as well, I mean, it sounds like there are plenty of people who go to places and aren't aware of the history that have encounters that then do connect back with the local history and the folklore. So I, I wonder how stories, because stories would seem to be something that exists in the conscious mind. I, I wonder what stories sort of just tick along in the unconscious mind and then you, you go to a place and somehow it sort of pops up, you know, <laughs> like it, it becomes more pronounced.
1: Yeah, definitely. The power of the mind is we don't know the full power of our human minds, do we? So we could be making all sorts of stuff up. And um, yes, a lot of it can be explained with psychology. And I know there's a lot of these ghost hunting shows I watch and they're like, oh, it's because the electricity is it emf or something like that the levels the magnetic levels can be out and can cause you to hallucinate and think you're seeing things when you're not and things like sleep paralysis you know it used to be called old hag syndrome didn't it And and people who report it feel like they've got some sort of spirit holding them down but psychologists will tell you no there's an explanation for this it's because you're your mind is awake, but it hasn't quite woken up your body. So you feel like you can't move, but actually it's all in your head. And so there's this battle, isn't there? Is, it, is the person really having a paranormal experience or is it a psychological one? And I guess, depending on you know, your opinion, you sway one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think with sleep paralysis, it, it can vary the, the experiences people can have. um I don't know. I think you'd have, if you you'd have to do a, a proper study into it and the, the and the sort of the experiences people have during that. I mean, it, it obviously is a physiological thing that happens, but I don't think it discounts whatever personal experiences somebody has. It it might be a mechanism to to allow that sort of thing, or it might be a side effect of sleep paralysis. Is that you're in some sort of altered state, or you're in? Be- I mean, you're in between being asleep and waking up aren't you in that zone where the dream the dream world and the real world are sort of mixed together
1: but then perhaps is that the time when you are in that sort of subconscious state that if you were going to say experience something from another dimension that would be the time when your brain would be open to it
0: yeah yeah who knows Yeah, I mean, I mean, I you know the dream realm or whatever we should we should call it for, for all intents and purposes, I think is another dimension, isn't it? I mean, I l- luckily I haven't experienced sleep paralysis. Touch wood. <laughs> yeah, um, it but I awful. definitely, I definitely have had times where I've woken up from a dream and things from the dream characters or from the dream were in my room for for a short while, which is very odd.
1: Yeah. You can certainly wake up and uh, those strong emotions that you've had in the dream, especially if they've really upset you or scared you, they can stay with you for a few hours, can't they? You Mm. sort of can feel quite unsettled for a while. Um, I'm not saying this is paranormal in any way, shape or form, but it's just how how powerful our brains are and how they can affect us.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a sort of buffer zone between psychology and parapsychology that the border between those things seems to me to be quite fuzzy <laughs> and, no. you know yeah. these kind of things dreams especially i mean the the role that dreams played in in cultures throughout history into ancient history is a fascinating subject and something something i think is worth you know modern society looking more into
1: yeah definitely um i mean yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about that, but it's it's definitely something I'd like to do a deep dive into someday. But I'm still busy with all the millions of uh, weird experiences in Wiltshire at the moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. So, um, are there any others? I mean, I'm sure there are, obviously, but uh, that, that that really that really stand out for you.
1: Yeah, I mean um there's lots there's so many haunted pubs here again going back to Avebury the red lion I was just reading about earlier and in fact I was on Twitter because somebody sent me a photo of something that was captured in this pub said have you seen this photo it was a while ago but I hadn't come across it and um if you if you follow me on Twitter or even if you go onto the blog you can see this photo and it is the weirdest thing it looks like a sort of mannequin looking out the window and it's this particular pub there's so much so many uh, so much activity in there but the main ghost appears to be of a lady called Florrie and she was said to have well they say that she was working there or living there but it was a farm before it became a coaching inn but it, her husband she was married and her husband went off in to fight in the English Civil War and he came back unexpectedly and found her having a tryst with her lover and um, depending on which story you look at she was either strangled or had a throat cut and she was and I don't know some people say the the lover was shot other people say they don't know what happened to him but she was thrown down the well in this pub and she is to blame for all the sort of poltergeist type activity that goes on there and there are so many accounts um there's disembodied voices there's things moving she particularly doesn't seem to like men with beards and it's said if somebody goes in there it's happened before oh, i think this is a load of rubbish and there's this particular sort of chandelier type light that swings above their heads um another lady got in touch with me and said she'd had a weird experience there. She'd gone up there, she was waiting to meet her daughter and she had some, a bunch of flowers in a bag next to her and she just looked down and she could see the paper around the flowers just being folded back like someone was having a little look at it. And She said it was really weird, she looked away, she thought I'm seeing things and she looked back again and it was there, it was happening again and she kind of got this feeling that someone was admiring the flowers and she went to leave the pub later, but then she got this urge to go back in, and she went in and she said to the staff, "I just want you to leave some flowers for." And she felt it was Florrie, who was looking at the flowers. So um, I think that was really sweet of her. But Florrie is said to have been seen to come in, crawl in, and out of the actual well, which is now within the pub, and it's got a glass top on it, so you can have a look down. And I can't imagine how scary that would be to see some sort of apparition crawling out of the well. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd ever go back there again. But that's not the only... There's also been child ghosts there. Um, they're said to have been... when it Back when it was a farm, the farmer was said to have helped a gang of outlaws that needed shelter, and something happened and he was murdered. So there's a ghost... Um, Not of the nicest spirit, but said to be in the cellar who is seen holding and bloodied and holding a knife. And other people going back to what you were saying earlier about someone going somewhere and not knowing the history of the place. Um, There was an investigator who didn't know about this location whatsoever turned up there and he said he had a vision of someone in the cellar of someone coming towards him with a knife trying to stab him. And he came back out. And he said to people, "I've just had this weird thing happen in my head." and then the staff said, "Well, actually, that actually did happen, and it was apparently in the cellar area, so you know um the Red Lion is certainly quite a hot spot for ghostly activity and has turned up on those lists, you know most haunted pub in Wiltshire or one of the most haunted pubs in in the country." <laughs> That kind of thing. And there's many, many of the pubs in the county have their resident ghosts. Um, there's one in Salisbury that has a mummified hand. Cool. Uh, that's the function <laughs> of Madison. Yeah, and it's, it's still there now and it's stored behind... Well, it actually, it's a replica because the original was stolen a few years ago. But this hand is there behind uh, glass and bars. And the story is... That back when the cathedral, around the time the cathedral was being built, this was an inn. The people from the cathedral used to come in there and the local tradesmen. Um, There would have been what we'd call ladies of the night downstairs at the time. And there's sellers leading from this pub and they head towards the church and they head towards the cathedral. Um, Anyway, the there was a card game. A visitor came from Southampton and said to the locals, he went in, he bought everyone a drink. He was very loud and jovial. And he said, come on, let's have a game of cards. So up onto the first floor they went and he seemed to be winning a lot of money. Um, one of the locals who was a butcher became suspicious and said, you're cheating and uh, pulled out his, his butcher's cleaver and cut this guy's hand off what happened was the cards fell out and there they were he was revealed as being a cheat so he's called the demented whist player that's his ghost and he's said to be responsible for all sorts of things in that pub um he's turned up in one of the bedrooms appears to be holding an arm that doesn't have a hand there's disembodied footsteps the staff go out at night, they've laid tables with certain colour of napkins, they come back the next day, they're a different colour. Um, there's also a lady that haunts that building who her son she lived near Biles, I think, and her she'd sent her son out to to get a pint of ale, and he had never come back, and then, sadly he'd been robbed and murdered. And she's said to be in the pub and in the churchyard behind St. Thomas's Church, she's seen um constantly looking for her son and you will get almost a smell of flowers and a sense that she's come past you and you they've got smells in there of like um mulching leaves you know that very autumnal smell and uh yeah it's a, anyone who ever comes to Salisbury I really recommend you just go and have a look around that pub because it's so historical. It's got these tiny little rooms go up to the first floor you can have a look for the mummified hand as well.
0: Sounds fantastic! A great combination of um, a nice pub and uh, some spooky stories to investigate.
1: Yeah, and um, the set the tunnels that head off there up towards the cathedral. Then they go through what was another old pub, the George the Fifth Inn, which is now a coffee shop. And I've spoken to the staff in there, and they took me up to see top floor, but they've said. There's always, when they're there locking up, last thing at night, they've heard the sort of doink, doink, doink footsteps going along. Um, it's kind of like a balcony and they've seen shadows go past the bottom of the door. They open mm. the door, there's no one in the building and they've heard steps falling over up in the attic and they go up there and, you know, there's nothing, nothing going on, nothing's moved So, and these are all connected, all these buildings are connected by these old tunnels that probably you can't get into now, they're too dangerous, but you just wonder. I suspect it's probably the clergy didn't want people to know that they were nipping off for a swift pint and maybe to see the ladies (laughs) in the bottom of the pubs and the inns. So, secret tunnels of the clergy.
0: yeah i think i think you're probably right there but it with places like that it does feel like somehow part of them exists outside of time something something Mm. about them whether it's preserves preserves a memory of the past or or it's it's like like you like you were saying at the very beginning of the interview like there's on, on some level of reality there's some part of it that it's still around, like it's not. It's not gone away. It's yeah. And, and we're we're the, the we're the sort of the connective tissue, I guess. The experiences. Go, again, going back to what you are saying at the very beginning about yeah experiences, which is why it's so fascinating. It's why I love it so much. I think. Uh,
1: yes, same. I I I love talking about it because certainly residual, what they call residual hauntings, which are the ones that replay the same action over time. Um the idea of a different dimension where Mm -hmm. this is all happening all at the same time, but it's just, that's a residual haunting is possibly where we get that moment where the atmosphere is right. The conditions are right. And suddenly we get a glimpse into that time long ago of that thing happening. And you can see where I don't necessarily, I don't believe in the stone tape theory as such because we know it was started on a TV show. I bet you've probably covered that in a past um, podcast, but you could see how there's parts of it that make me think, yes, why wouldn't stones or time hold energy, particularly if it's from a very emotional event? And Perhaps yeah. that's something that plays into it. And then you get that, just that sight of a different universe and you hear those footsteps, they're just... Going down that particular hall every single night, or one night of a year, or on the night of a storm, or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you're right. I mean, the stone tape theory is an interesting one. I'm, I'm like you. I, I'm not sure about it, but it's interesting, and it's an imaginative way of looking at this sort of mystery. And I think it's something that's worth exploring. I, I know that there was a an archaeologist called tc lethbridge i think he has some ideas that inspired the stone tape film but i i don't know enough about him I i've got i've got a book about him to my left as of, as we're talking i can see it i haven't got around to reading it yet but um...
1: oh we've all got piles of those books <laughs> yeah. waiting to be read <laughs> but yeah it's, um,
0: but it's a but it's an it's an interesting idea and i think ideas are powerful too aren't they they're they're often what humans use to sort of navigate the world so you know
1: yeah that's true i mean we wouldn't have come up with the wheel would we if uh we hadn't used our imagination yeah
0: yeah um
1: so yeah so it's such an interesting topic we'll never really i don't think in my lifetime or yours that we'll really come and find out the truth of it but it's it it's such a good debate and and people have really strong opinions about it as well mm. um And I kind of I try not to get pulled into the arguments because I'm just like, well, I'm going to sit here on my sceptical believer fence and say, I'm not saying ghosts are definitely real, but I'm certainly not saying that they're not.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, that's a good position to have and just just enjoy the mystery. That's that's what I try to do anyway.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I'd, I'd, actually, I'd actually be really upset if somebody found out what they actually were and found out that it was just a science thing, because that means all, my, all these amazing stories that we enjoy, they are just stories. But at the moment, they're stories that could be real.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Emma, this conversation has flown by. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast.
1: Oh it's my pleasure I've really enjoyed it um and yeah if you ever want me to come back and talk about other stuff uh, there's plenty more stories about Wiltshire that we could cover
0: Excellent so if people want to find out more about you and the weird Wiltshire blog how do they do that
1: Um so if you want to read it and subscribe I can be found on um, www.weird-wiltshire.co.uk um and If you want to have a chat to me, I'm quite often on Twitter.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I'll put that information in the show notes.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Thanks. Nice to speak to you. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Emma. The Weird Wiltshire blog is an excellent resource for anyone interested in both the paranormal and that part of the UK so definitely take a visit if you can. Please also consider rating this episode wherever you listen and sharing it on social media, as it really helps some other sphere to grow and find new listeners. You can follow some other sphere on Twitter and Mastodon, and subscribe on most of the well-known podcast platforms. You can also support the upkeep of the podcast with a donation via Ko-fi. Details on how to do that are in the show notes. If you'd like to email me here at SphereHQ, the address is someothersphere at gmail.com. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and I hope you'll join me again soon for another episode of Some Other Sphere.